Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. You used to associate crickets with silence. But since you bought a house in the suburbs, you know crickets hate silence. If any other creature realized rubbing its legs together made a piercing high-pitched noise, they might think, maybe I won't do that. Constantly. All night long. Luckily, you can save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto. Now that's something to make noise about. Just not constantly. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, it's a Stranger Things spoiler spectacular with Matt and Ross Duffer. Hey guys, Josh Horowitz here with another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. And this is a fun one, guys. What's bigger in pop culture right now than Stranger Things? Come on. The new season has just dropped. The final two episodes of Stranger Things 4 have just dropped. By now, you've probably watched it. If not, you might want to take a pause and check out the finale, the last two episodes before listening to this conversation, because this is this is a special one. This is an exclusive. I don't think the Duffer brothers, generally they don't talk much, and I don't think they did much talking um, after this season, but they were kind enough to make the time for a big conversation with me here. This is their debut on Happy, Sad, Confused, Matt and Ross Duffer. So... What do you need to know about these guys? Essentially, they are the creative force behind Stranger Things. This is their baby. They are the creators, the executive producers, the writers. They direct most of the shows. Um, they, they live and breathe this show. And their story is a fascinating one. These guys came out of North Carolina, had no connections to Hollywood, had no real significant credits prior to Stranger Things outside of a film that, frankly, nobody saw called Hidden a TV series that some people saw that they were writers on, uh, Wayward Pines from M. Night Shyamalan, and then out of nowhere comes this pop culture phenomenon with a mostly unknown cast and, yes, our beloved Winona Ryder, and the rest is history. So for context, I've never really talked to Matt and Ross, though I'm big fans of the show and big fans of theirs, but I did run into them when I uh, was lucky enough to host the Stranger Things 4 premiere um, alongside my old buddy Terry Schwartz for Netflix. They were kind enough to invite me to do the big live stream on TikTok, of all things. I feel like an old man being like, oh, on TikTok I was hosting, but I was. And um, I met Matt and Ross. They came on stage, and that was literally our first meeting on this bizarre, giant um, stage for the premiere. We talked a bit afterwards and I found out they were very kind. I think it was Matt I was talking to. They're identical twins, by the way, so easy to mix them up. But I believe it was Matt I was chatting with, um, who's kind enough to say that, you know, they were fans of, of mine. They knew my stuff and certainly I reciprocated the, the love. And um, since then, uh, we made arrangements to catch up. So here we are. Uh, this is a big conversation. It's an hour long chat. It is full of spoilers. Um, so again, if you haven't watched Stranger Things 4, take a pause, finish up, then come back because we directly address all the major events that happen in the latest season. 
Uh, there's a lot here uh, about that. But there's a lot also about looking forward to the final season of Stranger Things that, yes, there will be one more season. Um, so we, we talk about that. We talk about their planned spinoff that they're going to be doing. We talk about their future beyond Stranger Things, their background, their influences, their love of Star Wars. There's so much in here. Um, so, yeah, this is this is a this is a fun chat with two very talented guys who share much of my sensibilities, easy to talk to, um, common reference points and a lot of fun. I should also mention, by the way, they have a new master class. I just watched the trailer. I haven't watched the whole thing yet. Um, but if you're so inclined uh, to learn the ins and outs of how to you know develop a TV show. Why look any further than the Duffer Brothers? That's a new um, episode of the Masterclass series, which I'm a big fan of. So just a little plug there for them. Um, yeah, not much else to mention, guys. I mean, this is, this like I said, this is a longer one. This is an hour-long chat. So I want to get right to it. Um, if you're here for a deep dive into everything and anything Stranger Things... You can't go wrong with this one. If you want to watch the video version of this, as always, go to patreon.com slash happy, sad, confused. We've got a new game night episode coming very soon with a whole batch of new folks to game night. But I think you'll be very pleased. Um, I know I was. That should be coming hopefully maybe by the end of this week, if not the beginning of next. Um, and yeah, we've got a big A-list superstar on the podcast next week. We've got Comic-Con around the corner. Lots of things happening. Um, all right, let's get right to it. Here I am with the creators, the executive producers, the writers, directors. They do it all. Um, here's my chat with Matt and Ross. Duffer. This is a first for Happy Sad Confused. We've had family members on. We've never had identical twins, so you've broken ground already, guys. Uh, Matt and Ross Duffer, welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, um, thanks for having us, man. Yeah, of course, of course. We we met uh, very recently, as most modern relationships begin, on a TikTok live stream. That's, That's just right. the way That's of the world. My now. first TikTok live stream. That's right. <laughs> Me too. We were all yeah. here together. Was it? <laughs> yeah. Was it your first? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even understand how it works. I'm assuming people watch that. I, I don't know. So, so I hear. I think anything related to Stranger Things, people watch, I no matter it. what the platform. Um <laughs> But no, I've been such fans of yours for a while, and I'm so excited that this is the occasion. So we are talking, and this is like a cathartic moment for me. I can only imagine it for you, because you probably, yeah. first of all, you guys just finished this. This is the, the last two episodes That's right. Of, right. of Stranger Things 4. Um, I got a chance to watch these the other day, and I had no one to talk to about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I literally, I did, to name drop one of your friends, I, I literally texted Harbor, and I'm like, I, I, I have to talk about this. So I started talking. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. He, uh, yeah, like nobody has seen it. So few people. Our actors just saw it. Just saw it. I'm sure David had just seen it when you talked to him because they just kept bugging us. It just it literally wasn't. It done. wasn't ready. That's why nobody has seen it. I mean, it just it just. I guess was it yet yesterday, right? That it became available. Yeah. So, um, so. And, and then we changed some shots today. Yeah. <laughs> still a work in progress. It's still always a work in progress. I think I think we're actually at the point where Netflix is going pencils down. So right. <laughs> pencils are down. Pencils for Matt and I are down. There'll be a little tech fixes here and there, but it's it's pretty much done. We're done. You'll, you'll be happy to know Harbor was seems happy, seems very happy. He, he did good. he did say to convey to you guys he'd like more lines next season. 
I don't know if he said that to you. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll be easier because he's not going to be imprisoned in the cell uh, <laughs> for the majority of the season. Yeah. So we'll give him some more lines. Fair enough. I mean, look, he's an actor. He's an actor's actor. This is a this is a common note, I think. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So let's just talk. I mean, okay. So this is a spoiler conversation. By now, if you if you yeah. haven't watched the the last of the two episodes, guys, um, get with it. Get with the program and check it out. <laughs> um. Let's clear some things up. Okay. So. Brenner is dead, I think. Yes. Yes, for real this Definitively, time. Definitively. He's dead. He's toast. Okay. We'll get, get these out of the way and then we'll circle back. Yeah. Eddie Munson, officially dead? Yes. Yeah. Sadly, yeah. Eddie, Breaks Eddie, my heart. Eddie's... What a performance from Joe Quinn. Amazing. Yeah. Um, we can say Max is alive. Right. Yeah, she's brain dead, but she's alive. <laughs> Could be better. Could be better. Um, Brain dead and blind, and all of her bones broken. Yeah, but she's doing. She's doing great, Josh. She's doing. Um, so yeah, it's, she's seen better days. That yeah, basically she... describes me most days. Yes. That's... <laughs> <laughs> and, and Steve, despite the internet's internet's predictions, seems, yeah. seems pretty okay. Well, He's... we beat him up like always. I mean, we have to sure. beat Steve up every season. Uh, it's just become a a thing now i don't know where the steve i honestly don't know where the steve death prediction came from because i i don't think we foreshadowed it in any way because it, it would have been a kind of a bizarre thing to do because we hinted you know we kind of had the cliffhanger on episode six where you think he might die from the bats and he's rescued so it'd be it would have been odd i think to i guess I, we did that with max i think it way. goes back to the early trailer there was a steve screaming you know but again that was all from episodes people have seen now which was right sick. by now they should have been like yeah we saw it so yeah he's, we, he survived through. once I, I think the internet they like to get riled up about they rile themselves up on purpose so i i don't know how many people really think he's gonna die right um but they've threatened us and so on if he dies that wouldn't stop us from killing steve <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll, we'll get we'll no, get to that no, on the next they're, they're gonna be unhappy enough about eddie you know i mean for sure they're gonna be unhappy well let's let's um, talk I'm about narratively why it was time for brenner this time to go for good brenner, and- well, what we really wanted to do this season, you know, and one why we really wanted to bring it back is we felt that Eleven hadn't really ever come to terms with her relationship with him and, and what all that meant. And, you know, we even in uh, season two, we talked about this sort of festering wound. And I think a lot that Eleven had and a lot of that in our mind had to do with her relationship with Brenner never actually dealing with and confronting it. And so I think as you can see, especially in episode eight this year, she really, her and Brenner go at it and, and they, and she finally says everything that's on her mind. And Brenner, we wanted to also show that he's not just this black and white villain that at least in his mind, obviously the things he's doing are unethical, but in his mind, he has a justification for it all. Right. And so we wanted to give him an opportunity as a character to at least try to tell this 11 his justifications and ultimately she doesn't accept them that she is conflicted and we see you know we see her emotional but at the end of the day you know she's not going to forgive him and once you i mean she's been totally manipulated by him you know as a child but his feelings for her are real you know and a lot of this actually came from you know our conversations with matthew because i think ross and i weren't um, you know, when we were working on season one, he was much more of a straight villain in our minds. But then it was so interesting that Matthew really bristled uh, that if anyone, tr- you know, there would be, you know, screenings where fans would boo him. And he, that he actually felt like 
hurt by that because he did not, and, and that's any great actor, right? They're going to find a justification for everything. In his mind, right. everything he did was justified. I was like, well, that's actually really interesting to explore. Like Matthew, you know, how he how he got there in his own head. And I was like, okay, this character really, no one's the villain of their own story, right? So he's in his mind, he's doing, he's doing, he's doing things for the right reason, even if he does some things that, that, you know, cross moral or ethical lines. Um, and then Millie has, Millie and Modine are also in real life close. And, and, uh, and, and Millie has, uh, and they're very close to their characters as well. And she's always had, you know, talked about Eleven's con conflicted relationship with them. So it was, it was just felt like rich territory to yeah. explore. It, it must have been, this is a unique circumstance because this is the first time you were literally editing the final two episodes while yeah. the fans were reacting to the first oh, right. seven. That's right. And, and obviously you can't go back, but like when you see the reception to Joe's performance and Eddie Munson, I mean, you knew this was designed, he, he was going to be a lovable character. People were going to fall for him. That but, was the hope, yeah. Right. But was that, was that always a design to kind of build him up? And yes, this was going to be a one season arc for him. There was never a, a thought of In a him. way, I mean, we sort of saw Eddie as a, a bit of a doomed character. I mean, even imagining the flip side of that where he does survive that final battle, is not a lot, not a great life awaiting Eddie back in the, the right side up either. So we always, you know, he was really designed from the get-go as a Doom character, unlike someone like Bob, who was, oh, let's make a lovable character. And then it's like a shock right. uh, to, to, you know, to, to really up the stakes. In this case, it's like Eddie sort of was hurtling towards his Doom this whole season. But of course, you know, when you do a death in a show, if you're just, if you're killing someone that no one cares about, it has no impact. So the goal of course was to make Eddie, uh, you know, a very likable character and have, you know, have the audience fall in love with him. But to see the extent that they did obviously made us go, Oh boy, <laughs> this is going to get a reaction. <laughs> yeah. But, but it, it, he was always like, like Damien, you know, Damien Eccles and in the West Memphis three were always yep. a huge influence. That, that's a tragic story. So it was like, in our mind, the minute we came up with this character, it was like, you know, he was going to be a tragic character. There was no, never any art other arc for him. And like, as Ross is saying, there was, there's no, had he survived this? Um, I mean, he's still, you see at the very end, he's still, they're drawing devil horns um, on his head. Um, there's, you know, no one in Hawkins is going to accept some sort of supernatural explanation for any of this. He's going to wind that he would have wound up in jail. And this, this fantasy that he would have been able to walk and graduate sadly is just like, you know, was not ever a realistic outcome for him. So it was like, it was a really sad, tragic story, but like, we always wanted there to be a little bit of hope there. And like, Eddie is frustrated with the world as he, as it is. Right. And, and sort of the structures and values and morals. And he looks to specifically Mike and Dustin and this new generation of kids, the generation coming up after him as being that source of hope. That's why he's talking about like, you know, rescuing all the little sheep. So in, in Eddie's mind, though he dies, he sees, um, he sees hope and not despair. And I think that's sort of what, you know, for the future. And that is what, you know, why I love that, you know, the final moment between um, him, you know, him and Dustin yeah. and that Eddie and Eddie talks about it when he talks, I mean, Dustin talks about it when he talks to Eddie's uncle about how Eddie never, never changed and never gave up hope. He wasn't, you know, he's not a nihilistic person in spite of 
all that, all that, all the awfulness that was heaped on him. So I don't know. It's obviously a really sad story, but hopefully one that resonates with people. It, it was not designed for, for shock value. As a, as a person of a certain age, as much as I love the kids, you know, I gravitate towards Harbor and Winona always. Um, and they have, uh, I don't know yeah. if, if the fans are going to call this the shirtless hopper scene or what, what, this, what this scene will come to be known as, but it's a great scene between them. Can you, oh, can good. You, oh, can, good. You, can you talk to me about how that scene happened on the writing stage and, and on set? Like, what, what, what do you recall about kind of developing that very key moment in that relationship? <sighs> Well, obviously, you know, I know the, the, people have been waiting for this moment and we have too for these characters finally, you know, a, a, admit to their to their feelings. And in this yeah. case, uh, you know, lock, lock lips. I think it's been uh, it's, it's been a long, long uh, a build up to it. So, you know, we've waited till we found a spot which in, happened to be, you know, top of nine where there was a moment where we could actually keep it quiet it's not sort of in the heat of the moment thing it's where we could actually really build up uh the the tension and in and, and so that that was part of part of our challenge with the writers was just trying to find out where we had room to do this and give it and and give it justice and then we just wanted to just milk that milk that tension as much as we could for as for as long as we could so that the payoff would be would be satisfying what were yeah. the actors like that day on set i mean I mean, David and Winona really get along, I think. And they, I, they were, you know, everything, it, there wasn't, no, it was like an exciting, fun, silly day. It was yeah. just, um, it was a great, I mean, it was, you know, it was a great, you know, it was a really fun scene and sequence to, sequence to shoot. And then there was actually, and then, and then, you know, there was that other kiss that, that was added. That was yeah. sort of an idea that they had, they, that they had on the spot, but it's good that, it is also a relief to get that moment done and out of the way. And now they're sort of officially a couple after teasing it for yeah. they still so long. They still haven't had their date though, but uh, <laughs> That's it's, it's going to be challenging now because yes. downtown got, you know, yeah, I don't even know if Enzo's is doing all right. That's a right. good question. I'm worried about Enzo's and I'm worried about Marissa, the librarian. Hopefully. hopefully. No, we well, thought we actually came up with like, I hope she, she's not in there. <laughs> Um, in the library, as it erupts. Um, so I feel like the library would be closed at that point. She's probably at home, but she's out of a job. <laughs> so let's yeah. talk a little bit. So going forward, I mean, yeah. look, this season was such a, you know, as we've talked, the, the episodes were super sized. They kind of expanded. That wasn't necessarily your intention, but that's just yeah. where, where the story dictated. So what is right. the what are the learnings from this season that you apply to the next one? I mean, do you go into the next one knowing like, yeah, we, we can we can play with episode length. We can do six, two hour movies as it were. Like, how do you, how do you right. approach it? I know, but I, th I think what you're saying is right in terms of that. It was so much of it was dictated by the story. So Ross and I, you know, with our writers, we're just gonna have to, we're gonna sit down and, and really figure out the story. We don't expect it to be so long, as mm -hmm. long. And the only reason we, we don't expect it to be as long is because typically, or this season, if you look at it, it's almost a two hour, um, ramp up before our kids really get drawn into the supernatural mystery. And, you know, you get to know them, you get to see them in their lives. They're struggling with adapting to high school and so forth. Um, Steve's trying to find a date, all of that. None of that obviously is going to be occurring um, in the first two episodes of this. I mean, this is, this is for the first time ever. We don't wrap things up at the end of four. And so 
everybody, everyone, it's going to be moving. I don't know if it's going to be going 100 miles an hour at the start of five, but it's going to be moving pretty fast. Characters are already going to be in action. They're already going to have a goal and a drive. And I think that's going to carve out at least a couple hours right. and make this season feel really different. I'm sure the wrap up will be a lot yeah. longer. It's going to be Return of the King-ish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, with like eight endings. I mean, we do that um, already a little bit. It's just like, I got to give our, you know, you because you're writing and you're like, well, what about, we got to give these characters No, but this is uh, my thing about, sorry, I don't want to go on like too big of a Return of the King tangent. No, no. Like, if you, it actually feels, if you just watch Return of the King, it feels like too many endings. Right. But you've spent the if time. You, you, you put in the time with these characters. You deserve yeah, the wrap up with everybody. You, it's actually exactly correct. Because if you watch all of them back to back, which I've done it um, multiple times, it's exactly right. If it were any shorter, it would feel um, cheap and wrong. Right. So you're saying the final episode of Stranger Things will just be an epilogue. It will be a 90-minute <laughs> epilogue with just everybody it'll, hugging. You might and... need it. <laughs> Although I will say I do have issues with television. So they do do it where the penultimate episode is the strong episode, and then they wind down on the right. last one. So we're more likely to do what we did here, which is just have a you know yeah, two-and-a-half-hour yeah, episode. Right. We kind of cheat in that sense. In that, we do. In, that, in the sense that, yeah, the wind down is just part of a two-and-a-half-hour episode. So I, I, I would expect the finale to be at least two hours and then, and, but, but I'm, I'm thinking it's not going to be a 13 hour long season in part, just because it was so challenging to, uh, but, but the, it was, it was challenging to produce, but not, it's not mainly that it's mainly the fact that our characters aren't um, scattered to the wind. Right. In the same way this year. So everyone's going to be back in Hawkins and that's just going to streamline things naturally. And the fact that there isn't a, isn't a big ramp up. So um, we'll see. I mean, you know, if you had talked to us about at the start of writing four, I would have told you it's eight episodes and they're about an hour long each. So I don't know. I wouldn't <laughs> trust a word that comes out of now. Do you anticipate it basically all being Hawkins now? Like, do you come home and just right. stay, stay in Hawkins? For the yes, season? that's what we anticipate and hope um, to do, which is to keep it contained in Hawkins. We want to, it's going to feel a lot larger in scale than season one. We want to go back to a lot of things we didn't season one a lot of the original groupings and pairings that we had in season one there's something nice about coming full circle so it's going to feel bigger than season one much more massive in terms of the stakes and the scale but it's going to be um you know we want to revisit a lot of the things we re we did in season one have you thought about because i know you guys are were movie guys growing up and we'll get into yeah. that a little bit of that if we have time to talk about your background and your because I think we share a lot of the same interests. But like, is there has there been a thought of or serious conversation about releasing any of these in theaters of like in the, in the final season to like release the finale right. as a as a movie or something like that? That'd be because, sweet. Because you guys must want to see this with an audience. Like you that again. Right. Yeah, yes. no, it is exciting. I mean, part of the the, the challenge is like we were even gonna put uh the finale, the the last two episodes in a theater. Um uh that was a Netflix idea, but it just can't. Like we literally, as you know, just finished it. Like when right. you so to make a DCP and get it done. So some of it is just a logistical thing, but certainly, you know, especially with sound, like when you're when you hear this and in a movie theater sound uh, with Atmos sound, which we do when we're when we're mixing it, it's just it does take it to another level. So it would be amazing in the future if we could figure out a way for that for fans to be able to see I, that. It's, it's, yeah, it's more, you know, I ask Netflix about it all the time. I mean, you know, it's just, I think it's challenge, you know, it is, it is challenging. Yeah. Um, for a number of reasons, but, um, 
I'm just going to keep asking about it <laughs> and, and maybe and, one day and we'll, and, and we'll see, but yeah, no, it, it is something every year. The only time we get to experience it is at the premiere, the first you know right. episode. And it, it's so fun. Well, there's it such, it's, it's such so an fun. audience show. I mean, I was there at that premiere and just to right. see, to feel collective gasps and reactions and laughter. It's like certain shows don't work on the big screen. Your show absolutely a thousand percent would work on the big screen. Right. It's so, yeah, it is so fun to, to yeah, it would be great to figure out for sure. So as you know, uh, Millie Bobby Brown has bloodlust. She wants death. She wants uh, murder uh, in the final season. I've heard. Uh, you, <laughs> I've so, heard. So is there a body count? Do, and do they know? Do the, do, do the actors that no, might not make it? they do not know. No, they don't. Well, to answer it, so no, they don't know. Um, but, you know, I mean, we aren't, um, we'll see. A lot more is on the table, um, you know, as we move into the final season. I mean, a lot of the, um, what did she call us, Millie? She said we were sensitive Sally's. Is that yeah. what she said? <laughs> That's what she said. That's such an innocuous, mean thing um, to say about somebody. She's hilarious. <laughs> so anyway, she, she, yeah, she publicly called us sensitive Sally's. No, the, the, the reality is when you kill one of these characters, like, I mean, believe us, we've explored all of it, all options in the writing room. But the problem is just as a complete hypothetical, um, you kill Mike, you know, it's like, that's Nancy. It's a depressing. It's not, we're not a depressed. We aren't game of Thrones. We don't you know, this is Hawkins. It's not Westeros. <laughs> and like, it just, the show is not becomes um, not stranger things anymore because right. you, you do have to treat it realistically. Right. I mean, you do like, so even when a character, we, we, you know, not, I don't even, but when Barb dies, right. It's two seasons worth of grappling with that. So imagine, right. um, you know, imagine Mike Diane's like, do you want, is that something we're interested in exploring or not interested in exploring? Eddie's death is going to have huge um, repercussions yeah. on season five. Right. So that, that, you know, so it's not, you know, it's not just serving, you know, thematic purposes, it's serving narrative purpose. And then, and then um, Max, Max's coma is going to serve, you know. Well, is, just is, the ripple effect of Billy on Max this season. It's the Billy same. Billy on Max, right, yeah, exactly. Dear Billy does not exist with that. So every death has impact. As we're moving into the final season, I think more of that's on the table because it is going to be, um, you know, you know, we'll, we'll see. Well, well see. you're headed towards the end. So it's not like, you know, whatever the repercussions are, they're going into imaginary season. So I don't know. In, but I, <laughs> this is me basically defending myself against these Millie Bobby Brown accusations right. that I'm a <laughs> and explaining that there's logic behind it. It has nothing to do with my sensitivity. Uh, yeah. So there you go, Millie. Do you, do you, for the final season, do you build from the back to the front? You were talking about Return of the King. Let's talk about TV finales. My brother was a writer and executive producer of Lost, so I'm well acquainted with all of this, of, what, yeah. of everything that goes oh, yeah. into this. No, the TV ending TV is, is a thing. So, like, do you, do you wrestle with, like, yes, you want to give the audience answers to a certain number of questions. You're never going to answer everything, I would right. think, right. right? But, like, there are certain key questions that you know as a person that's been an audience member yourself that needs to be satisfied. Like, I guess, how do you approach satisfying yourself right. and satisfying an audience with a finale of a show when you know Sopranos, you know, every major show has had controversy, Game of Thrones. It, it never works, <laughs> according to the fans. It's, it's really, it's <laughs> yeah. a challenge. And I think it, 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 it also depends on the show, right? Like, I think Sopranos is brilliant for that show. That would be a really weird Stranger Things ending if we did something like that. So I think some of it is gonna, depends on that. So when we talked about it, but for Matt and I, you know, every season, 
we just we constantly talk about in the writer's room that it's about sticking to landing. So the stuff that happens in, in 409, you know, when I was talking about Eddie being doomed, all that is that's some of the first big decisions that are made. And we right. generally stick to those plans. We don't we don't I think it's 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 dangerous as a writer to be, you know, writing hours and hours of, and not know where you're going. I'd rather leave some of that middle journey vague and fuzzy, but you know where, as long as you know where that destination is, it sort of gives you that clarity. It's like that lighthouse blinking in the distance. So we do, you know, during the pandemic, when we and everyone else, uh, you know, shut down, we worked with the writers and that was a big focus was like, do we know what that make sure that that whatever that final destination is feels right. And at yep. the moment we feel pretty confident about it. So while well, a lot of season five is actually pretty blurry, the last, you know, 30 minutes of it are pretty clear in our heads. So if we can, if we can make the journey entertaining, I think that we have an end that will hopefully satisfy again, like you're saying, you can't satisfy everyone. Uh, but the hope is that it's, you know, uh, something that feels, um, feels right for, this it, no, it, it just it, it was just like one of those things that it just feels inevitable and so it was like okay that that just feels like that feels like the right that feels like the right ending for the show and and i don't i think it's super it's so um it's hard every year i mean it's weird doing a television show like because i so i always think about back to season one and i'm like well you had no idea what anyone was going to respond to or react to there's something so pure about yep. that and then like Every year you work on it, it's like more and more people shouting at you. More voices, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, about, shout it out at the end. Go back to the beginning and just trust your instincts, right? You gotta- yeah. You have to. There's no yeah. other way to do it. I'm like, it's because it's so, I mean, it's scary, but like you cannot please everybody. Something's gonna upset every, somebody. And so at the end of the day, it's like, okay, let's just do what we did with season one. That made yeah. a lot of people happy. Just and which is just let's make do what excites us. We have a small, tiny group of people, a writer's room. It's like, and that is the closest thing to a focus group that we have. And we all, it's like if it, if if Ross and I are excited about it, and our friends or you know in our room are are excited about it and feel good about it, and it's like, okay, it's like let's right. that's what we'll do. Let's not like consult Reddit. You know? <laughs> if if you um, wanted to. I'm sure Netflix would be happy for you to spend the next decade of your life do expanding the, the sandbox, right. doing four different spinoffs, what, you know, what HBO is doing with Game of Thrones, exploring every aspect and nook and cranny. And I know there's one spinoff that you are pursuing, but I guess I'm just, this is a fascinating career thus far and it's going to get more interesting because it's like, it's so much of it has been really Game of Thrones, what we, I'm not Game of Thrones, <laughs> Stranger Things, what we know you from. I right. guess I'm curious, like, do you have that appetite to spend like, a lot of time in this universe the next decade or is it more of like we want to put a bow on this and then explore other stuff exactly that very yeah. much that i mean like so we do we are actually we were working on it today it's a spinoff idea that we haven't told anybody about um is this the one um, though that that finn finn knows, finn finn knows. Yeah. yeah no it's right it, i think it drove netflix crazy that we talk about it in the press and they don't know what it is yeah <laughs> oh so finn knows and literally netflix still doesn't know what it is no no, they were just. I wonder if they're like trying it. to get it out of Finn. They're really, they're not, they're not irritated, but they're like, you know, come Somewhere on. Somewhere Finn Wolfhard is being waterboarded by Ted Sarandos yeah, right now. I, 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 I feel like he's escaped to Canada. No, no, he didn't. And it's not like he machine gunned ideas out. He just, he's just like, is it this? I don't know. And it's so off the wall. It's not what anyone would think. So I don't know how right. Finn figured it out. That kid's, a, that, he's a really great, smart kid. Um, 
and a really creative kid. But like, uh, no, so we have that idea. But the idea ultimately is to sort of pass the baton um, to someone else who, um, you know, someone hopefully who's like really talented and, and passionate. And even the idea of Ross and I say doing a pilot and then leaving it, it's just like, it just feels silly to me. It's like, you, you, you know, you need to be there. You really need to be there from the beginning to, you know, beginning to the end. And I think, I think we need to find, um, you know, a partner to, to help us with that. Otherwise, yeah, it's gonna, this, this show will have been about 10 years of our lives by the time we're done. So it's like a decade of my life and I loved every second of it. And I don't take any of it back, but yeah, I don't wanna do another decade. Right. Um, in, in the, in the, in the stranger things universe. So that, I think that's sort of what we're thinking about. We do want to be very involved. Uh, and, 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 um, we have an idea that we're really, really jazzed about, but at the same time, the idea, yeah, we have other stuff that we want to do and other stories. So, um, hopefully, yeah, we find that right person to pass the baton to while we, we go on to do, to do new stuff. So does the spinoff, I know you're not going to tell me anything, but I, I'm going to go fruitlessly ask anyway, does it have like any familiar character or familiar setting or is it totally just different characters, different actors, a thousand percent different? Just it's, uh, what can world. I, what can I say that won't get, um, yeah, I think we can say that it's, 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 it's a thousand percent different. Is what I can say. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's not, it's not following. I've read these rumors that, it, you know, there's going to be an 11 spinoff, right. even Dustin spinoff. Um, or it's going to follow it's, number you know, four. Or, or it's nothing like, yeah, like another that. number. It's like, that's not interesting to me because I feel like it's like, we've done all that. I mean, right. we spent, you know, I don't know how many hours exploring all of that. So it is, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's very different. Um, but it shares, it does, it, there it, are, there's connective tissue, but almost the most important connective tissue I would say is the storytelling sensibility of it. And I think that oh. that's more than anything, uh, what connect there is story that connects to the stranger things world, but it really is more about how we're telling that story. I, I think and, it was like, that was mostly what stranger things was. It's like, no, it, I mean, I, I get that when, when people say it was, oh, it's, it, you know, it's just a big love letter homage to these films, but really it was an homage yeah, more us trying to recapture that style of storytelling or that, right. that storytelling sensibility that seemed to have kind of gone out of fashion. And then we moved into thousands. I love Chris Nolan, but everything became like very dark and real and grounded. And, 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 and so, you know, you wanted to bring, we wanted to bring back that sort of a little bit more um, it's since, and, and, you know, no, um, not ironic, sincere, right. Um, adventure, um, family storytelling that just seems to have gone, you know, with the exception of Super 8, nobody was doing. And the Super 8 was kind of a one-off. We loved Super 8. I loved Super 8, but then it was gone. I mean, there was like, there was no other Super 8. There was no Super 9, you know, and then, uh, and no one else did it. No one else did it. And I was like, I do think there's an appetite for this, um, or that's why I hoped for this type of storytelling. So that, that really more than anything is what it is. It's still like trying to stay in that zone. Is there, I know we could spend an hour just talking about your influences because it sounds like they're they're all the same ones I grew up with and I love, but give me a sense of like the evolution of like the posters on the wall, the evolution of the directors, like the first director that you guys bonded over through, like, was it Spielberg to Zemeckis to Lynch? Like, give me a little bit of a trajectory <laughs> of like, where are you guys? Um, it really started with uh, Tim Burton was the first one just because when we were really young, uh, well, I mean, Tim Burton's amazing. And when we were really young, we fell in love with his Batman. And then 
going from following his other movies, his style is so distinct. Right. You can see from any still, you can understand that even as a child, like you can recognize his art direction. <laughs> like I didn't know what art direction was, but it's like it's such a personal stand. Yeah. From film to film. So I think it really that was Tim Burton was the first time we were like, oh, there's someone behind the scenes overseeing this whole thing. So that was really our our first love. And then, of course, you know, it, it led to, you know, Spielberg and Zemeckis and then Scream, uh, when we saw that, really led us down. That was sort of our gateway drug into horror. And then we became high school for us was really, a lot of it was about Sam Raimi and just his- Sam Raimi was actually middle school. So I, we saw Evil Dead in the sixth grade, which was like too early for Evil Dead because it's not funny. Um, it's just sheer horror right. at that point. Yeah. And John Carpenter, Wes Craven. But I think um, Sam Raimi too, because it's like, we really like that in Peter Jackson's early work where when we were younger, because it's so bold, you know, I, we really like it. It's, you know, the David leans of the world were not blown our minds when we were in middle school. It was like big no, Gandhi heads. You guys are like, let's fire up the double cassette. He of Gandhi one more the time. way he moved the camera. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I even remember seeing the first, do you remember the scene that seeing the first Spider-Man that Sam Raimi did? I was like, why why is the camera so static like where's you know why is sam raimi not flying this camera around (laughs) typically and he finally did it in spider-man 2 you know in that doc ock sequence i was like okay there he is there's my sam there's my guy (laughs) were you you guys listening to um i know you have this new master class which by the way i'm a big big fan of the master class series the the fact that you guys are doing this is awesome i feel like master class is like the equivalent of like direct director's commentary when we were growing up listening a little bit was that were you into those like was there one in particular oh my god yeah i've been wanting to do it for there's just not like uh, i can't remember what netflix says i was like i would love to do a director's commentary but that um uh anyway maybe the one day someone did one and i think no one no one listened to it but yes no exactly we're exactly (laughs) like i'm sure you were just where it's like that was how we learned so through the direct and also the um you know any of the behind the scenes documentaries were, were like very, very helpful. Um, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful for those that, you know, like the Lord of the Rings, the behind the scenes, of Lord of the Rings. I still will, I still watch those and learn from those because yeah. it's so incredible what they pulled off. I mean, it stresses me out a little that behind the scenes because Peter Jackson is always so stressed because he's such a Goliath. I mean, it's unbelievable what they did. Um, uh, but I love that. I mean, when you're not from Hollywood like we were, that was our way in to see even how a how a set runs. You know, you know, it just and to see a prop house, to see you know what a PA is doing, to right. see what the AD is doing. Like that's that is how we learn. And so I do miss that aspect that that sort of DVD boom right around '99 to whatever it was, 2005. That was a glorious time for film nerds. Yeah. So this, this, I, I'm fascinated by the traje- the trajectory of your career. Okay. So like the, the, the cliff notes version is, and correct me if I'm wrong, did, did hidden come before wayward pines or, vi- or yes, hidden, place? hidden, hidden was the first thing that we wrote that I think it came out later because they put it on a shelf, but yeah, it was first. It was so theoretically for, first yeah. for context. You guys had gone to film school. You've done a bunch of shorts. Yeah. You, you direct a film, a Warner brothers film, a studio film, Andrea right. Riseborough, Alexander yeah. Skarsgård. And with all due respect, this might be the lowest grossing studio film I've ever heard of yeah. my friends. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a disaster. I mean, it was a disaster in the sense they, they didn't release it. 
Right. They it's not on the shelf for like they, three years, right? Yeah. Yeah. They and then and then when they put it out, it was just, you know, VOD. Um, and and this was pre-streaming, right? So there was no option of um putting it on, you know, HBO Matt. I'm sure now if we had done it, they would have put it on, you know, straight to their streaming service or something like that. But this th th that wasn't an option. And it just uh it sort of sat there. And so yeah, it was this feeling of uh, you know, it was like that James Cagney is like my top of the world kind of moment. And then it just, you exploded. It was like nothing, you know, um, you know, you pour three years of your life into something and to see nobody see it. And then everyone scatters. Like also it's like right. producers scatter studios, like everyone answering the phones. They're just not. Yeah. Know. Everybody leaves you um, high and dry. And it just felt like we were at a really uh, low place after that. I mean, um, you, you were in probably what they call director of jail, right? Like essentially for a little I bit. I don't think we were even prominent enough to be in jail. <laughs> like, I don't think anyone knew who we are to even arrest us. You know what I mean? That, so, that, that's how out of it we were. It felt like we had finally, after knocking for a long time, it had finally been let in the door. Yeah. And then it, and you know, everyone talks about imposter syndrome. Yeah. And uh, which I think so many people who experience any amount of success in Hollywood feel that actors, directors, writers. And so that was like a real sense of it. It was like, oh wait, they accidentally let me in here. Right. And it was a mistake and I got kicked out. So it took a while for us you've, to like- You validated my self-doubt in myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was right. <laughs> I, I was right. Yeah, I was right to doubt myself every single day on that set. So it was like, um, yeah, it was a really hard point. And then, I mean, we still like, I mean, I didn't know, we didn't, we don't really have any other skills. So we still, you know, I, I didn't, you know, we're never going to give up on this dream. Right. And we just kept going around trying to pitch our movie ideas. And everyone kept asking us about if we had any television ideas, because everyone wanted television and Ross and I were just not television guys. So we didn't have a television idea. Um, and then randomly one day we did. Um <laughs> which was which was the idea for stranger things i mean it was like a paragraph right long what was the elevator pitch what was like the the, the short version that you would get i have i'm sure we have it in our master class but the really short version was because we it was right after we came out of D denny villeneuve's uh prisoners that right. we had the idea so the really the, the 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 shortest version of it that morning was it, just a supernatural kidnapping. That was the, that was how it started. It was like, like prisoners kind of mixed with, you know, that Alter poltergeist guys. idea of like someone is lost, you know, a child is lost in another, another dimension. How do you get them back? I don't think we had, we didn't initially have the concept for all the kids and everything, but then we had this old idea. It was like, it was going to be a found footage thing about Montauk. And there's all these, um, there were, you know, we're conspiracy nuts. So we grew up obsessed with the Philadelphia experiment and this Montauk um, conspiracy, um, where there was all this bizarre um, theories um, in terms of, you know, involving uh, testing on children, psionic ability, you know, you know, psionic kids, um, portals to other dimensions. And so we kind of, and that all took place at the end of the 70s and early 80s. And we're like, well, that's, if we, if we, if we set our supernatural kidnapping idea in Montauk and around this base, and that's what resulted in the kid going missing, then we're in the 80s or the early 80s. And then we're like, oh, wow, that's really fun. And then that's when we introduced the Amblin aspect into it. And then we got really um, genuinely excited about it. 
And then I remember even that week going to pitch somebody, like we just pitched them the elevator pitch and there was just like nothing. And they were not interested at all. And I was like, God, this is like, I was like, I really thought this was the idea. But anyway, so we're like, we need, um, and the other problem is Ross, I had no television experience, experience, and we didn't want to just write it and have someone else take it away from us. And then like, no, within a week, it was a week or two weeks, we got contacted by Fox and Shyamalan, who's someone we grew up idolizing. Um, and he was a big influence on us. And yeah. then he, he had read our script hidden, which was kind of a ripoff of his movies. And so he liked the script hidden because I think it reminded him of his work because we were aping him basically. And he wanted us to write on the show Wayward Pines. And they're like, would you go down? You know, we, and they flew us out to, and we're like, of course. And we flew out to um, Shyamalan's house. We stayed on his like compound basically for two weeks. He was next door writing uh, the, the visit at the time. And then he would come in every once in a while and check in on us. And we learned a lot from him and that two weeks working on the show. And then we eventually flew up to where were they shooting Vancouver and we worked on the show and we, we learned a lot about television. And we, I guess we ended up writing about half four of those scripts or something like that. Something like that. But it was funny because it was like the first time we wrote a television script. I remember, um, I think it was for episode, one of the episodes five, five yeah. we got a call from Knight, and he was like, you guys, you can't this is ridiculous you can't this is in you can't produce this on television like it was going to cost an obscene amount of money it's like right. you're writing television so now we're writing the scripts that night that now we're finally able to write the kind of scripts that night and fox were you know were just it was um, impossible at the time to produce something with that scale and so we had those dreams of sort of merging the two very early on. And we just were well, some, naive about what Fox. Some of it is like afford. the little, like the interstitial scenes, you know, like I remember on Wayward Pines where I was like, these monsters are coming. And we wrote a scene where there's just a neighborhood dog and he's hearing something and he just starts barking. Right. That's it. And they go, well, we can't shoot that. We can't put lights out there and shoot this dog doing it. And they're like, we don't need it. We just need to go to Matt, Matt Dillon over there. And I'm like, yeah, but that's, that's the kind of stuff and that's the stuff that I think can separate cinema from television. So it's really exciting now, not just with Stranger Things, but overall that the form is evolving to allow scenes like just a dog barking at the woods because that's the kind of stuff that makes, uh, to me, can make a movie special. It's not just the scenes, close-ups of our leads. But it was, it was, it was also very weird just only being writers and, just, and, then, and then eventually seeing the episode, um, you know, on on television it was weird it was like, i was just like i was like i really want to be a part of this you know especially if it's our own idea i really want to be it there from beginning to end and i never want to leave it and i and, and just see it all see it all the way through so it became increasingly important to us with stranger things to stay involved and that and, and as showrunners despite having like no experience and also directors and that became a challenge, um, like there was a company I won't name where it was like, you know, they loved the project, loved it, wanted to buy it, and but were not keen on the idea of us directing it. And they said, uh, could we, you know, could we see your film? This is the film Hidden that done nothing but negative things for us. <laughs> and so we sent it to them and then they go, yeah, yeah, we don't want them directing after watching it. It was like the, oh, the no. most hurtful thing ever. And then we walked, but we walked away and I was like, 
So I always tell it, and I mentioned this in the like masterclass thing too, it's like, there is a power, even if you're totally powerless in saying no, like people do start to like go, oh, what, maybe they know what they're talking about when you don't actually. So a lot of it's sort of, uh, um, you know, the fake it till you make it bullshit is kind of true. Well, speaking Um, of saying, saying no, here's something that that must, must boggle my mind or maybe your mind. Like, so if I talked to you right before Stranger Things had happened, I would think any number of projects that could have come your way, like even offers to direct something would have intrigued you and be like, oh, that's a great opportunity. That's really exciting. Yada, yada, yada. And now, and now though, like you have the pick of the lit, like you, you probably are saying no, I would imagine both by virtue of how busy you are and your ambitions. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, yeah, you no, know, I mean, to us, it's certainly there. That mostly happened post season one of like, here are these opportunities right. to play in these sandboxes in these worlds, sort of. And that was before we were really uh, committed to the show Netflix. And at a certain point, Matt and I just went, well, why, why, why would we go to this other we, other IP that someone else made? You know, what's the upside you know, of twenty plus years ago? Yeah, like we yeah. we made this. IP, you know, on our own. And so at a certain point, we just went, no, let's, despite the pull of some of these other properties where you go, well, I grew up loving that. At the same time, it was exciting to us to go, wait, well, we made this IP. And I always talk, I talk about this to Netflix, uh, uh, which is that, you know, Spielberg wanted to make James Bond and Lucas goes, well, I got something better, which is Indiana Jones, right? Which I think is better and more exciting to me as a property. And he owned like Spielberg. It's like, it's like Spielberg's, he he would have never been, that James Bond would never be his. Right. In the way that- Didn't Lucas want to do Flash Gordon before Star Wars, essentially? Exactly. Flash Gordon, Star Wars, like another great- So I think there's a power to, yeah. I mean, in this age of IP, it's exciting that, we are, you know, Netflix allows us to sort of do something at this scale yeah. of something that was, you know, an original idea uh, seven years ago. It's my favorite thing ever that Netflix has no, like, no IP. I know. Like, it's the best <laughs> thing about Netflix. Yeah, they can't say, well, what about these six other things over here? No, like, they're no, like, yeah. what, you want to look at what did we do back in the, like, you know, the right. 70s and 80s? Maybe one of these things will inspire you. And it's like, they don't have that. And so they're very invested in creating new IP. And like to me and Ross, like that is, uh, I mean, it's a little bit riskier, I guess, in some sense, but not really. I mean, um, you know, there, you know, I'm even seeing it happen with Stranger Things now where the, the expectations from these fans are just like, it's, I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's scary. And I like, there's something nice about starting fresh and 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 trying something new something that is inspired by the stuff that you loved and um but it's its own new thing um that being said safer and more exciting look look me in the eyes and say you have not had the kevin feige meeting and the kathleen kennedy meeting you've had both of those. oh no I have not had either of those meetings no i no. definitely never heard from marvel no ever really? but no. i but i we do know we do know the russo brothers who are great joe and anthony They've reached out and they've been like really sweet and supportive. Yeah, but we, you know, it's funny. The our one of our first jobs out of college, sort of in that in between prior to selling Hidden, was reading scripts for a live action Star Wars television series. This was before it had this sold to Disney. Underworld, like, right? It was that was that famous. Yeah, uh, and so yeah. we just were reading because we actually interned at at Kennedy Marshall. But even then, I never met 
Kathy Kennedy because they were off making War of the World. So I was like in this weird, we were basically pretty much in a closet. We were, we were, we were, I don't know if it was, it was a glorified closet. We were in a closet, but I did find my favorite discovery there was I found a letter from Daniel Day-Lewis to Steven Spielberg declining the role of Lincoln. This was prior, of course, to him agreeing like five or 10 years later. So it was the most like eloquent, polite letter. It was ever. very polite. Written very in felt, nice like letter. a felt tip pen. It was, yeah, he was already in character yeah, just in case. But uh, so anyways, no, but we haven't had those meetings, nor have I ever even met her. <laughs> one day, one, one day, day it's, it's on the it's on the bucket list. It's you know? For sure. They're both doing tremendous job. Yeah, yeah. They're and awesome. Meanwhile, apparently John Watts is doing like a Stranger Things inspired Star Wars show. There, there you go. It all, all comes around. <laughs> I don't so, know. I don't know. Is, were, you, were you comic book guys? You mentioned Batman. Like every, I feel like every writer or filmmaker or actor I say, it's always like when I ask about the one comic book character, it's always Batman. Batman's the one. Like, yeah, Batman would, was the one for us. I mean, certainly when we were kids and yeah. like specifically, uh, as Ross said, Tim Burton's uh, the ver version of him. We always wanted superhero things, but we never read the comic books, you know? Uh, so we'd be obsessed with like the X-Men cartoon series and things like, like that, but we never actually became... We're never comic book guys. No, that's why we would actually be bad matches at Marvel or DC because um, it just, I don't know if I have enough, you know, someone should do it. Someone should do it who knows more yeah. about it. You know what I mean? Like, cause I don't think you should be doing something because I, I know, I think we'd probably, we'd probably make not the best, the best thing, you know? What about, what about Star Wars then? Is that going to- well, Star is Wars a, is uh, that's a whole pretty thing. awesome. Yeah. But um, what an amazing universe to play in, yeah. you know? Yeah. But- uh, Maybe one day, but right right now we're we're we are excited we, about. I, I'm interested in the IP thing. You mean no the IP. new the new IP new, IP new IP thing, not the IP. Yeah, exactly. the new new IP, and um, what we can do with sort of this long form movie storytelling thing, and and what that's allowed for us, which is because it opens up so so like if Stranger Things had been a movie, I don't think it would have been very interesting. Um, I think it would have felt a lot like you know Super Eight um in in that we oh we had just kind of seen this like done really well like six yeah. years ago five years ago what was interesting about it and what got us excited was when we started to think about what does it look like over eight hours and it's like oh wait suddenly you can you can have the nightmare on elm street teen storyline and you can have the goonie storyline and you can have uh the the chief of police and 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 you know Richard Drive's Close Encounter storyline. You can have all of that, and then you can weave it together. And even this year, it's fun. It was like we've Ross and I have always wanted to do. Um, you know, we always wanted to do a Nightmare on Elm Street. We always have wanted to do a, like a Prison Escape. Um, and so it was. It's 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 so fun to basically be able to do these different genres and movies, and then weave them into one one story. Yeah, and, you, you're uh, getting the boast of all possible worlds because you're bringing this like film sensibility. I know you've talked about each season and it's a very intelligent way to think about it as like a sequel, as like, you know, the T2, the et cetera, what Cameron does, yeah, like kind of yeah. reinvent, but you have yeah. more leeway. You have more, you know, real estate to kind of just like go to go to yeah. side stories, et cetera. Exactly. Uh, um, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about, so at this point, like, are you... As we tape, as we tape this, the, the last two episodes haven't come out yet. Are you going to be like watching? Are you, can you like not watch the fan reaction? Like, are you, where are you headspace wise on the reddits and everything when, when it starts to blow up? Uh, I no, will, we're going to, I'm going to have to look at I, the fan 
I wish I had the self-control, but the good news is we're both going on vacation in a few days. So I'll just, I'll take it in for, take it in for a couple of days. A lot of it will be people sending it to me. And then, and then I'm going to shut off my phone and uh, just let it live in the world for a bit. I don't believe you'll be able to fully shut your phone. <laughs> I'll try. Good luck. I, I definitely am going to try not to, not to, not, not to look. It, it, most of the excitement occurs pretty quickly. You kind of right. get a sense very early on. I mean, I mean, sometimes it'll change. It's the, it's the Roman gladiator arena. You're just seeing the thumb move. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I'm for some reason I'm less nervous. I was way, really, really nervous. Like before the, the season four, uh, the first volume, the first volume came out. I'm, I'm less, I'm le- maybe, maybe I should be nervous, but I feel like a, a, l- a little less nervous because people know the tone yeah. and it very much is still, if you like the first seven, you know, Chances are you're going to like the first two minus hopefully you don't want to kill us over the Eddie <laughs> thing is the only thing making me go. Oh, did, did uh, any of, of the reaction over the years, you guys have pretty, pretty much emerged relatively unscathed by the fans and, and critics. I mean, I think back to maybe, I don't know, was there a lot of like uh, around the, the bottle episode or an episode in season two, maybe a little bit of talk about that one being, you know, that was an experiment. Right, right. Yeah, that's not people's favorite episode, <laughs> for was sure. That, was that ever intended as, a, as an actual kind of a backdoor pilot or was it? Just no, 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 not at all. No, I, it, was, it was more of an excitement of going, oh, are there other numbers out there? And what would that look like in, right. in making it part of Eleven's journey? But, you know, so obviously we see those reactions uh, and certainly not the reactions you want. But I remember coming into the writer's room on season three. And the first thing us all talking about is we can't we we know we could play it safe if we want to we know that we could do that and that we don't want to that doing that is a swing for the fences move and so we wanted we wanted to keep doing that every year and and i think you know not to get not we didn't want it to get you know getting any sort of negative reaction to cause us to right get too jittery about trying new things but it does i mean it does shake you a little bit obviously like i mean you don't you know you don't want to miss although it's not like we, with that episode, you'd be more shaken, I think, if you go, oh, I'm shocked at that response. And we weren't, you know, obviously. And so I think that, um, you know, I would be more shaken if if something that I, that that I was like, oh, I know this is good. People are going to react like this and they don't. That would have, that would shake me more. But I think, you know, again, just swing for the fences. And this year you're, you know, obviously we've got our giant long episodes in multiple locations. We have our, our monster who's, you know, talking to people and it's a relief that Vecna worked. But obviously it, for us, it was scary because you go, we're putting a, a, an actor in a suit, Jamie in a suit. And he's saying lines like, join me. And like, that's, uh, that can, you could fall flat on your face. And, but that is the kind of thing where we want to just keep doing that. Don't, don't play it safe. We could have fallen flat on our faces, but I'd rather that fall flat on our faces than 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 yeah. just play it safe because no of, one's happy with that. Part of the balance, though, is making sure. And I know the you know some this is a balance that the fans get agitated sometimes about how long it takes, but the more time we have, the better. Like you know, it's it's like you know, like I've described it as as it it does really feel like at a certain point. You know, you build half the track, the railroad track, and the train's going, and you just have to, you know, it just feels like a race. At least that's how it felt, you know, the first three seasons where we're just trying to frantically get the track built before the train crosses it. And at a certain point, you just have to put track down. And so this was the first year where 
even if sometimes you know that track is a little crooked or whatever. And this was the first year where we, um, you know, were able to have it all written, able to look at it and able to correct. Um, course correct. Course correct um, as we were going. So that was a relief. And I think that may be, um, and I, th I think it made a difference. And I think we're talking about season five and Netflix is actually the ones who were really interested in us doing this again, which is having all the scripts written ahead, ahead of time. It just, it just requires more, more, more writing time. Yeah. Um, and you know, a lot of this is made one reason to also, I'm not sure if people understand one reason it takes as long as it does is because Ross and I are directing and normally, um, you know, the show, you know, your show running and writing it, you're not, you're not also directing. Cause that mean, that means we're not able to be writing obviously right. um, while we're directing. So that, that adds, that adds time, but I don't know. I think, especially as it's the final season, I think yeah. we want to make sure we we're not indulgent, but we take a little bit more time to make sure we get it right. Don't want to, don't want to slip at the end. No, I, I hear you. I hear you. I, I do want to say among the many joys, you, you brought a lot of joy to me with the show itself, but also bringing David Harbour into my life and bringing me closer <laughs> to my childhood love, Winona, who is just oh the, my most, God. the most the wonderful, idiosyncratic yeah. human being on She's the planet. Um, what's been the most unique note question that Winona has has posed to you in the course of the show. What stands out when you think of a millions Winona? Millions of questions. She's, I, that's what Winona, um, she um, comes on set every day with a lot of questions and thoughts. Um, and she's great. She's always right. She, that's the first thing you realize about Winona. She's like extremely intelligent. There's thought, um, every, you know, she, she, she has to understand exactly, uh, you, you can't bullshit her. You right. can't, you know, if you're just trying to get out a piece of exposition, there better be a reason why Joyce is saying it. I mean, it's all, it's a collaborative, it's not an antagonistic process. It's a very like positive creative process with her. But I'm trying to remember, I mean, well, a lot of it, honestly, with Winona is, um, I mean, occasionally it's just making sure that the logic is sound. And then some of it is just, she is a really un great understanding of both Joyce's vo voice and also how how she can sell something like exposition in order so she'll tweak around and move the words around so a lot of the conversation with nona on set is hey can i delete this word or move this one over here and do this and then you we go sure you know we see her practice it and suddenly it, it sounds one more organic and also just right. sounds like joyce and so uh i don't know it's a it's always a pleasure it's always nice to have an actor that has that much of an understanding. She has it. Yeah, it's her, she has an incredible ear. So if we write something that's just the to, the tone is just a touch off, she'll pick it, she'll pick up on it. But then she'll be um, work with us to get it, it get get it exactly right. So it's also been just a really so impressed with her like film knowledge. Like she's like oh it's shit. Insane. Like <laughs> oh it's insane. I mean she talks to us about movies I've never I, I I've never heard of. I know. She'll yeah. be like, have you seen this movie? And I'm like, I don't, I'm embarrassed. I was like, I don't know what that <laughs> is. And then I look it up on IMDb and it has like 500 votes. Like, no one, you know, if you've looked up, if a movie is 500 votes on IMDb, that is deep, deep cut. That is, that is beyond a cult film. I've actually, I actually just, last week I asked her to send me um, a list. Nice. Because she's making her boyfriend, um, Scott, go through she's she's like you gotta watch this you gotta watch this so i said can you give me that yeah give me it. that list because i guarantee you i haven't seen like 70 percent of it no yeah um yeah she schools everybody with film knowledge yeah. her film uh, knowledge. 
I'll let you go. I'll let you go on this first respect on the, the sneakers sweatshirt. Uh, my niece is Thank literally you. just I was hoping you would like it. Oh, my niece has just watched sneakers the other day for the first time and told me and it made me so happy. I was like, yes, <laughs> too, too many secrets. Does it still good, good work call. for the new? Does it work? They, the liked new it. they really liked it a lot. Yeah, I was okay. actually pleasantly surprised. Oh, that's um, right. It's a huge um, big one for us. Vecna is Vecna the big bad of the final season? Is there a new like what what, what he is the big bad? Yeah, he is still the big bad. Okay. For sure. For sure. The final season. That's right. Okay. I'll let you go on that. Gentlemen, it has been a long time coming. Congratulations. Uh, take a big exhale. You did it. You delivered. <laughs> Get a well-deserved vacation. And I'm glad finally, you know, um, uh, it was such a pleasure to meet you in that chaotic, bizarre environment of the premiere, but it's even better to get to know you today, guys. Yeah, I know. It's awesome. This so, is a great, this is so much fun. Is this going to be on TikTok too or no? <laughs> <laughs> we weren't live streaming, were we? Oh yeah. You guys are blowing up on TikTok right now. <laughs> on the on Friendster, uh, you guys are just huge right now. <laughs> no, I, I prefer this. Yeah, for sure. I'm with yeah, you. This is a mold more my speed. Uh, thank you, Josh. This is so much fun. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pushed to do this by Josh. <laughs>